0: All right, what we're going to do is uh, start a new series on Apostles' Creed. I want to say real quick that on your way out, we've actually uh, printed it for you on these cards, and there's going to be some tables with some people to be able to distribute those um, out there. And on the back, it, it's kind of a unique thing. Some of you have done this with Scripture memory, where you, you take the Creed, but then on the back, it's just the first letter of each word, and it's a cool memory device. Anyway, so as you're taking off afterwards, uh, you can... Pick one of those up, I think it'd be helpful. I want to start by just reading the creed to you. Now, later on, we're going to read this together in unison, but as I read it to you this first time, I want to uh, be able to just have you listen to it as as I read it over you. So if we could go there, listen in on the words of this ancient creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. From which he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, in introducing the Apostles' Creed, I'm anticipating some responses out there in the audience, one of which is undoubtedly why are we doing this, right? Is this, you know, Veritas Catholic Church? Is this Veritas Lutheran Church? What's going on? In fact, I've had some, you know, Lutherans and Catholics say, about time you get back to those creeds. Anyway, some of you are wondering, what is going on? And I'm telling you, some of you who might have the greatest aversion to studying through the Apostles' Creed are like some of people like me who were raised in churches where we stood and recited that stuff every single week, but it meant nothing. It was empty words, and so we're, it reminds us of this kind of empty, shallow religion. I still remember you guys growing up where I'd be sitting in church, my mind who knows where, it, it, thinking about what else, whatever was going on. And all of a sudden, certain words would be spoken, and I'd just start parroting them back. I remember there's this one chord that the organist Bertha Scooster would hit. Bertha would hit this one chord, and all of a sudden, I'd be standing up and singing a Gloria Patre. Like, I'm like, wow, I didn't even know, you know, so glory be to the Father. All, just out of nowhere, right? Just like Pavlov's dog or something. We just had these instinctual things. So I'm just saying, I get it. I get it where you're saying, wait, that represents something dead, something lifeless, this ritualistic thing that, that I want to avoid. On the other hand, some of you are completely unfamiliar with this creed or other creeds, and you're saying, why are we even bothering with that? I just want to know the Bible. Just get me in the Bible. You know, no creed but the Bible. Just forget it. Um, I hope that today you will understand why we're going back to the creed, and, um, and actually join me in getting excited about it for the next few weeks. So, that's what we're going to talk about today, why the Apostles' Creed, and, and the first thing is this, I believe in studying the Apostles' Creed, we're actually going to get to know our Bible better. <laughs> this is our really uh, strong attempt at helping us get to know our Bibles. This study, you guys, is going to drive us into the Bible to make sure that what we say we believe is actually anchored in the Bible, Okay? I think sometimes as Christians, we get around Christianity, we hear what Christians believe, and we start adopting some things, and the important thing is, well, does the Bible actually say this stuff? We say we believe these things, but but why? Okay, so for instance, when we confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, why do we believe that? Why is that so foundational that's the first thing out of the mouth of, of, of the creed. Where do we find that? Are we really sure that the Bible makes that emphatic claim? And maybe even more important, what difference does it make? <laughs> I'm telling you guys, I, I believe, I've said this to some friends this week, if, if the church of Jesus Christ actually just took that first phrase of the creed meditated on got down deep into the Word and figured out why the Bible says what it does and what difference it should make on God being our Father Almighty and the Maker of heaven and earth, it would radically change the way the church orients itself. I, I believe that. So we're going to Dive into the Bible. Where does the Bible teach these things? Why does the Bible teach these things? And why are these things so crucial and so central that we think we're, we're going to actually repeat these things back because we feel like these are the things so deeply anchored in the, in the Bible? I, w- I want to show you an, in, an interesting uh, way to look at the creed. Here's what, the reason I'm putting this up here. Check this out. Eighty-nine of the 110 words of the creed are all about God. God okay, the vast majority of what the creed teaches is about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the world. It's not about how to live the good Christian life. It's all about God. This is going to be our opportunity to dive back into the Bible and say, what do we believe about God? There's a great quote uh, by Tozer in, in his incredible book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Here's what Tozer says what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what I want to know is, what does the Bible teach us about God? And the the creed's going to give us an opportunity to pull, pull over for a while and just say, man, what does the Bible teach about God? And do I really believe that? And if I really believe it, what difference does it make? How should that actually change my life? Now, I just need you to know, the Bible has a lot more to say than what the creed states, right? So the Bible has, let's call it a million words in it. It's exaggerating. Depending on your translation, somewhere between 750,000 to 800,000 words. But, I mean, you can see a million from there, okay? It's a lot of words in the Bible. There's just over 100 words in the creed. We're, we're talking about, you know... A really shortened version of what the Bible teaches. So There's a lot more that we believe. There's a lot more that the Bible teaches, but in the creed, we're going to find out what is foundational, you guys. What is essential? What has the church for centuries said? Of all the other things I believe, and I believe more than this, these things I emphatically believe. Uh, there's a book by Al Mohler, some of you have have read some stuff by Al Mohler, and actually we're going to have this book available. It's not, not this week, starting next week at the Resource Center out there, but Al Mohler says this about the creed, remove any statement from the creed's affirmations and the whole of Christianity tumbles. That's what he says. Remove any one statement from the creed's affirmations and the whole of Christianity tumbles. So, What our desire is, is to get back in the Bible and say, is this really what the Bible says emphatically, foundationally? And if so, we've got to really really dig in, be able to state, that's what I believe and why. Okay, going to get in our Bibles, and we're going to in just a few moments here. But secondly, why else are we taking a whole few weeks to say the Creed? Secondly, to make sure that Veritas, we're all on the same page. Make sure we're all on the same page. So the Creed has historically been used in two really important ways. The first is to keep the church from error, to kind of frame in how the church ought to believe, to, to give us some fences to dwell in, right? So that's why, for instance, in the creed, we say we believe in the holy Catholic church. Now, I know as we're going through, there's a couple phrases in there that especially you're like, wait a minute, Jesus went to hell? Okay, we're going to talk about that one. Okay, just relax. We're going to talk about that one. Uh And this other phrase, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, I just want to say, it doesn't mean we believe in the Roman Catholic Church. That's a different thing. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church won't come around in history for a couple hundred years after we have the first versions of the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so that's a different thing. When we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, what we're saying is we believe in the church universal, that we're part of a greater church that we're part of a confessing church that's been true since the ascension of, of Jesus Christ all the way to this day, all around the world. So now I want us to grab our Bibles, if you will, and, and go to the book of Hebrews, because we just got done with the book of Hebrews, but there's an important passage there that I think is going to af- affirm this. We believe in the fact that we are part of a church that exists beyond us, and we got to stay in line with that confessing church. So in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, he says this, (coughs) Hebrews 12. If you remember when we were going through Hebrews, some of you are newer, you weren't here, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it's all just this lineage of those faithful men and women who who brought us to this point, right? And so that's why he starts in chapter 12 saying, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, all those people just up above in chapter 11, this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance, the sin that easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's saying in that critical passage, look, all of those men and women handed the faith generation to generation down to us, and now it's up to us. We've got a race laid out for us, and we've got to be faithful, and we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to run straight because they're all counting on us, and the generations to come are counting on us. Like, we can't drift, you guys. We can't start going to the right or the left because the faith has been passed on, passed on, and now it's, it's ours to pass on to the next city, to our next neighbor, to, to the, the family members, right? But... To the nations, like it's on us now, it's, it's on us to take it to the next generation, even like you just heard about, you know, Veritas Kids and all that. What are we going to do to make sure that the faith is true? That's exactly what the, the, the Bible has stated and that we pass it on, pass it on, um, can't drift off it. There's this interesting study, you guys, uh, maybe some of you have taken a sociology class or some have run across this. Years ago, I think back in the '60s, they did this study, and then I think it's the University of Mississippi did it um, a few years ago again, more recently. But anyway, they noticed, like back in the '60s, the way this thing came out. Some sociologists saw a, a school playground, and what they noticed is a bunch of kids were hanging on the fence that surrounded the playground, and so they thought, "Oh, well, this is this is terrible. It's like we're caging kids in. Look at, they're just desperate to get out. We got to take." fences down. We got to take these things down from all the playgrounds. So they they had a couple studies, you know, sociologists are, they did a couple studies, a couple playgrounds where they took the fences down. You know what happened to the kids? They were so afraid of the boundaries of the playground, they all huddled in the middle of the playground, and they wouldn't go out and play and and, and extend all the the beauty of the playground that they had around it, right? They said, oh, wait, that, that fence was actually a protection for them. They felt good about that. They weren't climbing to get out. They were just exploring every square inch of the whole thing, right? Here's what I'm saying. The creed puts a fence around the church. There's such flourishing that we can, there's such freedom that we can have, and there's such safety in there. We, we know when we stay in the boundaries of the creed that, that the church has said, this is what we believe. And so there's freedom in that, right? But there's also safety because we're not going to believe anything different. We're not going to drift. We're not going to shift away from what the church has been saying. This is what the Bible teaches all the way to them. So that's how the creed has been used to, to keep kind of bad guys out, keep the error out. But also, guys, secondly, the creed has been used to shape the people of God to bring spiritual formation to the people of God, to disciple God's people in the essentials of the gospel, we, we just feel compelled, guys, especially as we have so many. I'm so glad so many of you are newer to our church family. I, I, we feel compelled to make sure that you're grounded and anchored in the foundational truths of the Bible, not just disciple to be good Veritas people. <laughs> To be good people of God, to know for sure that your faith is anchored not in the experience of being part of this church family, but in Jesus Christ. There's a passage back in the book of Luke that I ran across not so long ago. It was just a couple weeks ago. Luke chapter 6, and here's what it says in verse 47 of Luke chapter 6. Jesus says this, I'll show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundations on the rock, and when the flood came, the river crashed against that house, couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. Hey guys, it is our passionate desire to form you in the foundational truths of the Scripture because life is going to get hard. It might be hard right now. The waves are going to crash against your life, and we want to know that you're not shallow, <laughs> that you've got a solid foundation that is that is anchored in the truths of the Scripture. That's what Jesus is saying. Make sure that uh, God's people are anchored, a sure foundation. Let me, let me share with you another quote by Tozer later on in that same book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says this about the church. The first quote was about me as an individual. This one, he says this, always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid. For her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. Here's what I think Tozer is saying and, and should land on us, guys. Look, I hope that you um, like many things about Veritas. I, I hope we're known for many things. I hope we're known for being welcoming. I, I hope when you walk through those doors you, you feel like, oh, this, these are people who want me here, that it's hospitable. I, I hope we're known for worship, Christ-exalting worship. I hope we're known because we, we really think a lot about the next generation, whether it's college students or Veritas kids or everything in between. I hope we're known. Man, you look around. I hear this all the time. I come to Veritas, look around. There's so many young people. I hope we're known for that. I hope we're known because we care not about just our part of the world, but to the ends of the earth, that, that we care about Thailand and Taiwan and Zambia. I hope, I hope that you know that we're known for a lot of other things, but man. May what we say about God be the strongest, loudest things that you hear and that we're known for, right? Let, let veritas be known for what we say, and let it not be that it's because we're so silent about God, <laughs> that we're known because of what we don't say. We want to be known for what we say and teach you, grounding you in God, and these truths have to be unmissable, okay? Okay? last reason we're going through the creed, the third thing, it's to anchor us in what is really worth fighting for. And this is one that I really want us to consider this morning, guys. By going through the creed, I hope what it does is it defines for us what's really worth fighting for. Guys, there's a lot of people in our day willing to fight for a lot of stuff. And some in our day are willing to fight for some very noble things, right? You've got the Ukrainians right now who are just fighting to be Ukrainian. <laughs> they're fighting off uh, an enemy that's trying to come in and, and change them into something that they're, they're not. And so we look at that and we're like kind of marveling at, at their heroism and, and there's some noble fights. So you think about the kid on the playground who steps in to fight that bully because that bully's picking on poor little kindergartners or whatever, right? There's some noble reasons to like take on a fight. But guys, we all know there's a whole lot of people wanting to fight for the most ridiculous things that you can imagine right now. Not noble at all, they're just ridiculousness, right? Inconsequential things. Veritas, we need to recalibrate, I believe. We need to recalibrate. Okay, what are the hills that we're willing to die for? What are those things that are essential? Our our church, the name Veritas in Latin, it means truth. What is truth that we're willing to actually go to the mat for, right? Because here's the thing. The creed is going to force us to say some uncomfortable things. The creed is going to force us to say, you know what? Actually, we can't just define God in any way that we want. You know, a lot of times you hear that where you, you, you're trying to talk to somebody about God, and they're like, well, I, I appreciate that. That's what you believe. But actually, here's what I believe. I, I think I, and your belief and my belief, they're just equally valid. It's all just what you believe and what I believe. You know, actually, the creed's going to say, no, we don't get to pick and choose what we believe about God. <laughs> actually, what we believe, when, when I as a Christian say, I believe what I believe is a very specific, concrete thing. Is this some abstract thing that I'm going to throw out there to echo around, and you can throw your thing to echo around? And No, no. When I say, I believe, I'm actually taking a stand, and I'm saying, oh, no, I believe, and when I say that, I mean something very specific. And here's what I mean. Guys, Christians say, I believe, and we believe that truth comes to us from God. We don't discover it in our hearts. We don't make it up as we go. We believe that it's, we call it alien truth. It doesn't mean it comes from Martians, right? It means somewhere outside of us, truth comes to us. It's out there and it comes to us. We don't get to make it up. (laughs) The God of the universe, it's in the very first phrase, the one who has made all things has spoken and we are listening to him and and we're, we're saying, okay, I line up with what you have said. And here's what we, what we mean by that, Christians. Not only does it come to us from God, but that belief system shapes every other belief we have. Every other belief we have, every other stand that we take comes after what we believe about God and from God. So for that, I want us to go to the book of Romans, and I want you to see in Romans chapter 10. I know we've been kind of all over And uh, get used to that over these next weeks. We're going to be kind of all over our Bibles. I, I hope you get to know your Bibles a whole lot better because of this series. But in Romans chapter 10, look down at verse 9 with me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Familiar verses, but man, these are important. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Guys, when Christians talk about what we believe and what we confess, it matters for eternity. Like, these are the hills that we're willing to die on. Because what we believe, when, when we say we believe, we don't just mean, again, some wimpy, shallow, thin kind of belief. When the Bible talks about belief, it goes to our core. Sometimes the Bible even translates that very word, trust, because it draws something even more about the Christian idea of belief. It goes deep. It goes to our core. We're saying we believe concretely and deeply, and so so much so that we trust it, and that forces us to confess, right? That means when we say confess, our highest allegiance is to this book, to Jesus Christ. Our highest allegiance, what we are confessing. So I want you to understand, when the early church confessed what is here in Romans, that Jesus is Lord Those were kind of fighting words. Like, that was a hill to die on in the first century. Because here's what's going on. When it came to citizenship, the the people uh, here in in Rome, the letter, you know, that was written to the Romans here that we're looking at here, but, but in all the other cities, they were part of the Roman Empire. And when I say Jesus is Lord, what I'm saying is, oh, I know to be a citizen of Rome, I'm supposed to say Caesar is Lord? Actually, I don't believe that. Jesus Christ is Lord. This was almost tyranny. This was almost to say, yeah, actually, I, man, I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm, I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going I'm to obey the laws. I, I know I'm a citizen of Rome, but ultimately, I, I don't consider myself a Roman. I consider myself a Christian. Jesus Christ is Lord. That defines me. Everything else comes second. I know there's all this political work. Blah, blah, blah. Christians should be the first ones to say, oh, I know, and those are really important matters, and they are, right? Oh, but ultimately, Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's everything else flows downstream from that. That's my ultimate allegiance. But, but more than that, it was not just under Roman occupation in the civil government. The Greeks had come in before that and made it a Greek culture. So you got the Roman, like, you know, government, but you've got this Greek culture that was just giving over to any appetite of the heart, any desire, right? And, and to say Jesus Christ is Lord is to say, oh, I know my friends and my neighbors and my culture do all sorts of things, but actually Jesus Christ is Lord. And even though the whole world, it seems like all, my whole city, whether I'm in Corinth or Athens or wherever, I know all sorts of stuff's going on all around the corner. Yeah, actually Jesus Christ is Lord, and that changes everything, Right? What I believe in my heart and confess with, with my mouth is that Jesus Christ is Lord and everything else flows downstream from that. So guys, man, we're going to make sure, we're going to fight hard to make sure that you don't miss Jesus Christ in this church. All the static of everything else coming at us right now, all the things that everybody thinks are so important, I hope that what we're going to find as we focus on the Creator of these weeks is these things are actually the most important. These are the hills to die on, right? One more passage I want us to look at, guys, is in the book of Jude. So right before the book of Revelation, if you go all the way to the book of Revelation, just go a page back, you're going to find Jude. And I can't even give you a chapter number because it's like a postcard. There aren't chapters. It's just Jude the postcard, okay? So... Look at Jude verse 3. Really important verse. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation that we share, I did change course here, right? I found it necessary instead to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Man, I, I, I wanted to write about some other things, but you know what? I hear that there's kind of a hostile takeover going over where you are to, to, to kidnap the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. I'm appealing to you. I'm begging you. That word appealing is the strongest emotional word that, that, that Jude could find. I am begging you. I am imploring you, the readers, that you've got to contend for the faith. To contend is, is to struggle. It's a really strong word. Strenuously contend to defend it's once again this idea of the passing out of the baton. Look, people are counting on the fact that you're going to pass on to them what is true, what is absolutely from God that has come to us from God and we're just passing it on. I've gotta, I'm begging you, the whole rest of this tiny little postcard is all about begging them, you've got to die in the right hills. <laughs> I'm imploring you, strenuously contend For the faith. Man, Veritas, I I hope by the time that we're done going through this confession that we're gonna know how strongly we believe in what we believe. It's just deeply anchored in the Bible and we we are not confused. In fact, we know exactly what we believe, why we believe it, and what, what difference it makes in our lives because we believe that, right? So I'm saying, guys, when we stand together and confess the Apostles' Creed, we are swearing allegiance to these sacred biblical truths. Don't ever let it be that we just stand up, you know, like when Bertha Scooster, you know, hits the, hits the cord, you just uh, hear Apostles' Creed again. No, no, no. It, it can't be like that. There are other things you can pledge to, like your fraternity, sorority, right, your Soccer team, you know, important things to, oh, yeah, I swear I'll be there all the time. You know, whatever, you know. You can, you can have allegiance to your nation. There are some, some things more important, less important. You, you can commit to. You can pledge allegiance to. But I'm saying everything else comes second to what we are pledging allegiance to when we say this is the stuff we believe. And it cannot be empty. Guys, do you believe that God is the maker of all things? Do you believe that? I mean, just at least give me a nod at, at this point. We haven't got it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Guys, there are implications to what you just nodded along to. Really strong impl- implications to what you just nodded along to. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? This time, not, not, not as a baby, right? This time he's coming to be the judge of, of all. you believe that? That matters, guys. That has strong implications if you really believe that. Do you, do you believe in the centrality of the church this whole, a million words, reduced down to a hundred, and one of those is how much I believe in the church. Do you believe in the church? If you believe in the church, that means something. It's, it's got implications for us. If we believe in the forgiveness of sins, if we believe in life everlasting, if we believe this stuff, I'm telling you, it should matter. It should make a big difference for us. So together and united, we say, this we believe. You know, we even debated... Um, should we uh, kind of tinker with the creed a little bit and say we believe instead of I believe? In, f- in fact, in the written uh, version, one of the, one of the words still said still we, we didn't get the typo corrected because we changed it back to I. And, and here, here's the reason that we, we are doing it the traditional way with I believe is because here's the deal. It's not enough for us to just kind of get absorbed into a movement of what other people believe. Like Romans 10, do you Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If so, you stand with others who are also confessing that. And when I say, I believe, I'm hearing everybody else say, I believe. And that's what forms our unity, right? It's not just that I kind of get absorbed into this, you know, groupthink, this echo chamber. No, no, no. I believe this. That's, that's what we say. And when we say it, we mean it, it, it matters. I believe more than this, but this is the stuff that I'll go to the mat for. This is the stuff I, I won't budge on. I, I confess it out loud because I want everyone to know what I believe, and I'm, I'm actually asking people to join us. Guys, here's what I, I hope. I hope people come to know Jesus Christ. I hope people come to know the God of the universe because we go through this creed and we go back to the Bible to figure out why we believe what we believe. In fact, I even trust that there are some here today that, however, you got here, that maybe you're just here to do a Christian thing and you're even, you know, kind of admire the, the, this Christian thing or what's going on here. And all of a sudden, as we really dive in to say, what do we believe and why and what differences make, that you'll awaken and realize, oh man, I actually wasn't a believer at all. Now I recognize what's true and what's right. And I believe, right? And you join the company of us and say, I believe that. And maybe even this morning you're saying, yes, I believe. I want so much to know that God of the universe who has come to us in Jesus Christ. Let this be our moment, church, for all of us to say, yeah, it's not just what Christians believe. I believe. So let's confess that together. Will you stand with me? We're going to read the creed now uh, together. And again, afterward, I, I'd love it if you did grab one of these to go home, start r- really thinking about it, and uh, maybe as a family meditating on it. But let's, let's do this together, all right? Read with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under pontius pilate was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell on the third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of god the father from which he will come to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy catholic church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Jesus, I pray that over these next weeks, um, these words will not just be a, a ritual, not just be words on a page, but with a level of conviction, Lord. We will say, I believe. And and maybe when our friends, our neighbor, a family member says, what do you actually believe? What what is this whole Jesus thing you're getting into that we're going to be able to say with confidence, Lord, I I believe. Because God, you've not been silent. You've come to us with truth. You've come to us with a powerful, life-changing message. Tune our ears to hear you, Lord. Awaken us, open our eyes, give us faith. So when we say I believe, it's not, it's not empty words. It, it means I believe, and you've driven those truths deep into our souls. God, may this church be a church of truth. And it may be like a city on a hill boldly proclaiming the words of the king of the universe. Lord, that you would draw all people to yourself. And that's that's our passionate desire. Make it so, Lord, please make it so. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.